Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. This episode is brought to you by Progressive. Most of you aren't just listening right now, you're multitasking. But what if you could also be saving money by switching to Progressive? Drivers who save by switching save nearly $750 on average, and auto customers qualify for an average of seven discounts. So multitask right now. Get your quote now at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates national average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. It's a Thursday. It's August 13, four weeks away from the start of the regular season. And it's football players in helmets in fairly close proximity doing football player things. Now, granted, it looks a lot like phase two of the offseason program in the middle of August. But at least we see helmets. Yes, they will be wearing helmets this year because for the first time they are. And they're getting closer and closer to fully padded practices, which start in the next few days. Wait, Football you mean there's no games coming. tonight? I thought I mean, thought Eagles Colts kicked off at seven o'clock tonight. I was all excited for that. Damn. Chris, it is so jarring. I may have mentioned this the other day off the air, possibly on the air. Who the hell knows at this point? You pull up the schedule of a team and you see canceled, 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 canceled for the month of August. That I mean, we knew that we've known it, right. but there's something stark about seeing it put in those terms. But yes, tonight's preseason games that would have been canceled. Tomorrow's canceled. Saturday canceled. See, those first two weeks of the preseason were awesome because we got what you and I would love to have every week. Football Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday. Yep. So we can actually focus on individual games instead of that cluster at 1 p.m. Eastern on Sunday when you've got nine games going on at once and you can't focus on any of them. No, I agreed. The preseason is a great time to get to know your football team or all the football teams, whatever you want to do, whatever that is. But yeah, it's not about the starters getting better and all those things, but it's about, ooh, let me see our new rookie class. Ooh, let me see our, you know, second-year guy that kind of looked good as a rookie. Did he take the leap, you know, to the, the next step or the next level of his game? So you get little, you know, clues into what guys are going to contribute to the team, too, because the, te- the guys that have been kicking butt in training camp, you know, they get to play more. The young guys, they formulate some plays around them. So we miss all that, and that does stink. But nonetheless, I am very happy that we see helmets and footballs and people throwing to each other and everything like that. And uh, I, I, we're turning the corner, which I'm very excited about. 
You know, I just thought of something last Friday when you weren't working, as you never do on a Friday. As usual. Shereen Williams and I. Yes, we had Friday, normal Friday. Today is Friday for you, obviously, uh, because it's Thursday. But Shereen Williams and I did a draft of the things we'll miss this year without training camp in the preseason. And one of the things that I didn't mention is I will miss watching the local broadcasts (laughs) of these preseason games where – the announcers who only focus on that team, right. Eagles, Packers, right. Lions, butcher the names <laughs> of all of the guys on the opposing team because you got 90. That's the thing. Preseason football, infinitely harder to call than regular season because you got nine. Well, this year, 80, but in a normal year, 90 yeah. guys. Yeah. And the local announcers who are embedded with one team will inevitably just torture the names of the guys on the other team because it's 180 names. How are you going to get them all straight before the game? So I'll miss that. I'll miss preseason football. I'll miss having tonight and the next four nights to focus on week one of the preseason. We can't see Joe Burrow. We can't see Justin Herbert. We can't get a feel for who's flashing, who's not flashing, who looks good, who doesn't look good. We're all waiting for the first evidence to come four weeks from tonight when the Texans visit the Kansas City Chiefs to start the 2020 season. The NFL's 101st. In our second hour today, Rodney Harrison for his weekly visit. We're going to talk to him a little bit about his thoughts on college football's effort to either go forward in the fall or in the spring or both or neither. That and more coming up. But we mentioned this yesterday on the way out the door. Jerry Jones, for the first time, Chris, since the draft, speaking to the media. And he spoke at length to the media. We're going to play some of it for you, starting with Jerry Jones right out of the gates opening statement when he met with reporters via video conference on Wednesday. So we've had really a lot of time to be together this year as we've gone forward in where we are today. But we've got some adjustments to make. We're going to make them with enthusiasm, and we're going to make them with can-do. The Dallas Cowboys plan on playing all of our football games, and we plan on playing it in front of our fans. That's a pretty strong statement at a time when one team after another is saying no fans. Just yesterday, one of his top rivals, Washington, the Washington football team, said no fans at all for the home games this year. Now, Texas currently limits to a maximum of 50% capacity, and the Cowboys haven't said how many will be there, Chris, but at a time when the pendulum has swung toward no fans – the Cowboys, Jerry Jones, saying we'll have fans. Well, I mean, I'm not shocked. I'm not. You know, first off, just the region of the country certainly, you know, seems to be less scared of the pandemic, whatever may be, whatever words you want to use. That's fine. Okay, whatever. You know, I don't know. You know, are they talking about full capacity? That's the one thing I would have liked to have heard. I mean, because there is a difference there. No, I, you weren't you weren't listening to me. I just said Texas allows 50%. Oh, 50%. Maximum. That's the, right. The Cowboys, I'm sorry. I'm the sorry. Cowboys are in Texas. I, that, I, I forgot you know all about Texas that. I a little Texas geography man. since you went to college You there. would think I would know that. 50%. I mean, <laughs> maybe they could pull it off, though, in that gigantic stadium. I mean, that's the one thing they got going for them. Yeah, but certainly. I mean, I don't, I don't know. You know, is this going to be one of those things, too? Again, we've talked about this with col- college football, any big gathering. You know, it's a roll of the dice. You certainly could be legally liable. And is Jerry Jones going to be willing to take those chances? And is he going to make guy or people sign waivers as they come into a stadium? Uh, I, I don't know. But, yes, it's very ambitious. But he's easily the most ambitious owner we have in football. So I'm not surprised to hear him say that. 
He also mentioned that the stadium has what he described as naturally built airflow that can be safe for our fans. Hmm. I'd like something a little stronger than can be safe. I'd prefer is in that context, but I'll cut him some slack here. And what he's saying is a twist on what I've heard all along as it relates to a domed stadium. The ventilation is at a level that would allow the stadium to quickly deal with an aerosol attack by terrorists, that that's been engineered into the ventilation systems of these stadiums for nearly 20 years. Since in the aftermath of 9-11, we began to worry about any way and every way that an attack could be launched at a sporting event, the ventilation systems already are in place to ensure that the air gets pumped out and new air gets pumped in. And that's one of the concerns for the transmission of the virus in a building that the transmission happens because the ventilation is not very good. In these stadiums with the high roof, you're going to have a very high level, Chris, of ventilation that makes it safe, not can be safe, is safe. I, I yeah, Can be, not good enough. Is safe what we're looking for, and I think that all dome stadiums will fall under that umbrella. Yeah, I mean, it, it's it's interesting to hear. I didn't know that about, you know, the, the systems that were put in place for, you know, some sort of terrorist attack or anything like that. That's interesting. I mean, the, really, you know, with this, the big, you know, the, the their stadium, how gigantic it is, you know, do they make? Are they going to make the fans wear masks, Mike? I mean, that's that's the other thing too. Is that going to be? Part NFL's of- already said that. NFL NFL's already said fans must wear masks to games this year yeah, right. if they're at games. Okay, so that's that's that'll be you know interesting to see too. I mean, you know whether how accepting fans are of that. But again, I'm not surprised by it with Jerry Jones, especially to be going down this road. Uh, he's always been aggressive with this type of stuff. We know he likes money, certainly, and. You know, he does like his fans. I mean, that's the one thing you, you can take away from whatever you want yesterday with the long press conference and all that. But his consci- he does have a conscience for his fan base, how they feel about the team, how they're viewed and all that. And I do respect that about him a whole lot. Yeah, and, and look, ultimately, it's about making as much money as you possibly can. And Jerry Jones is not going to shirk away from the challenge to find a way to have fans present. He's just not going to fold the tents and say, oh, well, we're just going to write it off this year. We can't have any fans. If there's a way to make it work and if there's a way to do it safely, not can be safely, but is safely, Jerry Jones is going to try to do it. And ultimately, and I remember this was the vibe I got back in early May when the NFL was riding the aftermath of a very successful draft. There was a sense that by September and a lot of this was going to hinge on an explosion in testing that was quick and reliable, and you basically could do it at home. It hasn't gotten to that point, which is a problem. But the belief was, and the attitude was, hey, by then, everybody's going to know the risks. Everybody's going to know what they're getting into. A lot of people are going to have the antibodies. Back then, they didn't realize that the antibodies may not be the silver bullet to avoiding uh, a reinfection. But the attitude by the NFL quietly in early May was, by the time we get to September, throw the doors open. Anybody who wants to show up, show up. And if you're older, if you have comorbidities, if you have concerns, don't. Yeah. But there's still enough people who are going to fill the stadiums. We're going to be fine. That has changed, obviously, because local officials, state laws, making it impossible to fill stadiums and in some places impossible to have anyone there. But, you know, there is this kind of tenuous balance, Chris, between, hey, 
everyone knows what they're getting themselves into when they leave their house in this day and age. Yes. And providing a safe place for people to congregate. Sure. Getting back to the college football dynamic, how much liability do you incur if you have this, this place where you're saying, come on in, and you're not taking the proper steps to ensure that they're safe. And on the masks, yeah. you know, here's what's compelling about the masks, Chris. Yeah. Not will the people wear them. It's will the Cowboys enforce, enforce it right. if, they, if they decide to take a mask break, which we see so many people do. I've had enough of the mask. I'm going to pull it down under my chin. Hey, I still have it on my face. Right. No, you don't. Will, will, they, will they tell people? You must put it on. Will they eject people who refuse to put it on? That's the question. It's one thing to say you're required. They're required everywhere or in most places now. It doesn't mean people are wearing them. Will they enforce that? Yeah, that, that'll be that'll be interesting. You're right. Um, and uh, that'd be very hard to enforce, certainly. You're going to have to have people almost looking in every section, like, you know, the, the, the ticket – the ticket guy who points you to where your seats are, anything like that, you're going to have that guy there, but maybe doing mask, mask checks, things like that, to make sure everybody is following, you know, the rules and regulations that way. But, um, you know, the one thing I'm encouraged by, too, is just with, you know, again, like you just said, we know where we are at as a society. We can't go crawl in a corner and just be like, oh, go away, COVID-19, go away, COVID-19. And I'm, I, and also we can't just be like careless and just be like, hey, let's go in a mosh pit and hang out and, you know, let's go to a concert and have fun. No, but, you know, I would like, you know, th- I do think football is going to provide maybe a little groundwork in sports in general for us breaking down some of these fears we have in society right now. And not to say we shouldn't be fearful. I'm not trying to be <laughs> sensitive, but what, <laughs> what about challenge it? flag challenge flag? What? What's about Here's the, the problem, challenge? Chris? Yeah, no. No, because you're setting up two extremes. We shouldn't be afraid. We shouldn't hide under our bed on one hand. Right. And we shouldn't go full bore on the other yeah. like we have. The middle ground is acting like every other country in the world, right? Doing what you have to do to get it under control so you can go back about a somewhat normal life. That's why the Premier League worked. That's why Bundesliga worked. That's why there's no positives for any of the NHL players in Canada because Canada got it under control. And my fear comes from exactly what you think could be a positive. If football works and these guys are out there tackling each other and breathing and spitting and sweating and coughing on each other, people are going to think, see, it really is a hoax. It's nothing. Uh, there's a danger in football working. That, that, so I, I don't think it's going to – that's the problem. It's going to embolden okay. people. There's a danger say, in everything. There really is no big deal. There's a danger no, in everything. No, I mean, there's a danger in like – I don't accept that response. Well, what, why? I don't, you're, not, you're, not, you're, you're deliberately missing the point. The point is this. If football works, the people out there who think it's no big deal and I don't have to wear a mask, they're going to point to football and say, see, these guys are on top of each other for three hours at a time and they're not passing the virus around to each other. So we're fine. We don't need to slow down. We don't need to shut down to get it under control like the other countries did. So, I look, I, I love you, Chris, but I think on this point, and we need to be careful on the messages we send to people, I think this idea that Number one, we shouldn't be, you know, live in fear. Well, there's a reason. Mike, we have people driving down the street with masks on and the windows up and gloves on. Like, I I see people all day doing it. Like, like the virus is going to jump in the car and do that. So there is a faction of people in our society who are afraid to do anything. It would be nice for them 
to feel a little bit comfortable. That's where I was trying to say. There's people but they're out in there. their cars. They're in their cars. Right. Yeah, I, how, how about they're going from one place to the next and they just don't want to bother taking the mask off or they forgot to take the mask off if I, as I've done and I realize I'm driving around with my mask on. I mean, so I, there's different explanations for that. I, but, 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 but I get your point. I just think we just need to tread very lightly here because the fears are not unfounded. And we very quickly start down the slippery slope where we sound like the people in the media who have been saying for months that the fears are unfounded. And I there are 160,000 plus dead. I know. I know. I just want to be careful we don't start down there. We just need to, be, we need to choose our words very carefully when it comes to that because I don't want people to come away from watching us thinking, oh, everything's fine. Let's go back about our lives. Well, we can't live in fear forever. They're not. We live in fear until there's a vaccine. Live in fear until there's a vaccine. Until the pandemic is over. It's, it's, and fe- what's wrong with fear? F- fear is the instinct that keeps us alive. That's, there's a fear instinct for a reason, right? The, 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 uh, what the, the wildebeest knows when to take off and run. The fear instinct kicks in because it's about to get eaten by a lion. All right, let's hear a little bit more from Jerry Jones. So, and, and look, it's a healthy discussion. See, Chris and I get along. Right, so well, we no, it is. It's fine. I just don't like that. I don't, don't live in fear. Live in care. Be careful. Live in care. Like fear, fear is going to cause other problems too. But I understand no, what you're no, saying. No, no, there is a time for fear. There is a time for fear. If there's definitely a time for fear, like any time I am around you and that big giant claw. Oh, wait till you see me next time. Wait till you see me next time. My fear instinct kicks in. All right. Now, look, uh, this is an issue that we have to address because the national anthem controversy returned in the aftermath of the killing of George Floyd. And everyone connected to the NFL said their piece about it, except the guy who always has something to say about everything, and that's Jerry Jones. So for the first time since the issue came back to the front burner, even though it's not currently on the front burner, the pandemic is, Jerry Jones addressed it. Here he is from yesterday talking about his position on the anthem, and we know all along that his position has been, thou shalt stand. Here he is talking about what may be a different view moving forward. So we all understand, and everybody understands where I stand with the flag. But everybody also understands where I stand on backing our players, the Dallas Cowboy players. The key word is a word called grace. Grace. That was then, two years ago. This is now. We have had very, very sensitive times. I don't need to share that we're also embroiled in a very other sensitive time with the challenge and the war, literally, we're on with the virus. These are very sensitive times. I have nothing to prove as far as where I'm standing with the flag and where the Cowboys stand. I have nothing to prove regarding my, my players and my support of our players. What I do want to show and want us all to be a part of is a word called grace. Grace. Not only grace in our actions, but grace in our understanding where they're coming from. I want our players to understand the perception and where they're coming from regarding the flag and the sensitivity there and the many memories there. And I want our fans to understand and better do because of what's gone on over the last few months and want them to understand where our players are coming from there. And they do not feel like that the ones that want to uh, basically do that, uh, kneel, they do not feel like they're dishonoring the flag. I'm going to have grace. I've had grace 
many of you have written and criticized me for having too much grace and understanding regarding our players, and I probably have. And I'm going to have grace regarding the people that are sensitive about our flag. Somewhere in between there as the weeks, as we get together with our team, as we discuss with the team, somewhere in between there is how we're going to handle it. Well, there's a lot of... A lot of reminders there of the Seinfeld episode when they were trying to determine whether and to what extent Elaine had grace. But uh, there's a needle that Jerry Jones is trying to thread here that I think is impossible. Um, and and he, he didn't show his hand at all. I, I, I just think that his desire was to get us all to accept that whatever he does, Chris, his intentions are pure. He's acting with grace. We may not agree with the ultimate actions, but he's coming from a place of grace where he's trying to get it right and in a weird sort of way apologizing in advance if he doesn't. Well, yeah, he's 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 playing both sides a little bit. Okay, that's fine. I got no issue with that. First off, I'm glad to hear him talk about it in general. You know, hey, that's the one thing we talked about through the spring and a few times. Just, you know, where is Jerry Jones? Because I think Jerry Jones is one of those voices in the NFL that when he talks, people listen. And especially when it's about an important NFL subjects, he could kind of ease the stress level of everybody in the NFL. So I'm glad to hear him come out and say something. Now, you know, two things I know about Jerry Jones. I mean, he loves America. He's Mr. You know, Mr. America. And I, I really love that about him and respect that about him. So we know that he's got great pride in our country. You know, when it comes to players, hey, would I have liked to him to come out and said something about Black Lives Matter and the pandemic, you know, two, three months ago? Certainly. But I can't sit here and, and tell you that Jerry Jones, you know, Jerry Jones, I think he could go down in history as being like the most player friendly, loved owner in the history of the sport. I mean, his players love him, all of them. Ex-players, you see Michael Irvin in his box, Emmett Smith, they're all there. I don't know if they're on the payroll. Maybe they are. Hopefully they are. That's what kind of guy he seems to be. He always takes care of his players. His players love him. You never really hear a player say much negative about him over all these years. Really nothing. So his actions do speak loud, louder than any of the words that he might not have said, and I respect him for that. And the last thing I'll say too, Mike, with this is I like – I mean – our country right now, it's it's right or left. It's right or wrong. There's, there is no middle. And it's, I think, a little refreshing to go, hey, you know, this side, how about we move over and respect this side and this side, you move over and we can meet somewhere in the middle. I think he's trying to give that type of message, which I can get behind. I don't know. I liked his whole everything he said yesterday. I had no problem with it. Well, yeah, because one of the challenges now is when people choose to stand for the anthem, there's a sense that they're getting bullied into not standing. Everybody right. needs to make their own choice about yeah. what they're going to do. And it would be nice if both sides respect whatever yes. everyone chooses to exactly. do. And that's a, that's, a, that, that's a shift. If Jerry Jones lands in that spot yeah. where he says, I want my players and my coaches to make their own decisions, and whatever they decide to do, I will respect it. I will not tell them anything differently. It will not be held against them. That's a break because he was at the forefront of thou shalt stand, toes on the line. This is the way the Cowboys do it, and it's always been done that way. We showed the B-roll of the kneeling. That was the gesture prior to the anthem, that Monday night game from a few years ago when the, the issue hit full right. boil for the first time. Right. He joined the players, and they took a knee and then stood up. 
Uh, so it, it seems like during this period of silence, there has been some reflection and if nothing else, an effort, maybe with the help of a PR specialist or two to craft a message that will placate as many people as possible or minimize the chances that he's going to have somebody ridiculously upset with him. And on that point, he was asked about being called out by a couple of players on the team, newcomers to the Cowboys, Gerald McCoy and Don Terry Poe, a couple of defensive linemen. They wanted him to speak up in the aftermath of the protests that occurred following George Floyd's murder. Here's what Jerry said on why he didn't speak through those many summer weeks. As you guys know, uh, you don't expect me to just because you say, let's hear from you, Jerry. You don't expect me to pop up and hear from you, do you? I know you don't. And so I, I'm, I, that's not the way it works. Uh, am I interested in what any player, am I interested in what any of our media, am I interested in what everybody has to say about any issue? You bet. And I have rabbit ears. I really do. And so having said that, I am listening. Well, look, you never have to say, let's see what Jerry thinks about something, because before you get a chance to articulate that thought, he's already said what he's got to say. That's what made this so jarring. He doesn't need an engraved invitation to speak. He just speaks. It's out there. If there's something to talk about, he talks about it. That's what made this episode so strange. Not that he didn't answer the call to speak. Right. It's that he didn't speak on his own because he always does speak on his own without anyone having to ask him to, Chris. Well, you're, you're right. He's one of the most vocal owners we've ever seen, you know, and from that standpoint and certainly welcomes press conferences and things like that. I think you're right. That's what it was jarring. But, you know, as I sat there and watched, you know, the press conference yesterday uh, and just thought about it a little more, too. You know, it, it the 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 platform to do or say those things wasn't there necessarily there this year. I mean, certainly he could have called and said, "Hey, I'm Jerry Jones. I'm having a press conference," and everybody would have zoomed in and listened. But really, more times than not, when we see Jerry Jones talk, it's after a game, it's after practice, it's football has provided him to be around, and the media, oh hey yeah, all media, I'll talk to you guys in a little later, and you know, you crowd around me and ask me whatever you want. You know, that didn't happen, so. I guess he didn't feel the need to call a press conference and do that. I mean, that's the only thing I can think of or defending him in this process because you're right, more times than not, you know, Jerry's going to let it be known what he thinks, what's going on in the NFL and, and what the NFL should do. It's funny how much time we spend trying to defend really, really rich people with $250 million boats, but sometimes we just do that because we identify the team, the league with them. I need to push back a little bit, Chris. Yeah. They had weeks where Dak Prescott's future was front and center. And in any other year, you're going to hear from Jerry when these negotiations are happening. He'll use the media any way he can. And he does during the season multiple appearances on 105.3 The Fan in Dallas. It was crickets from Jerry Jones throughout the offseason following the draft up until yesterday. He's done nothing. He's been completely underground. And again, that's his choice, but we need to recognize it is jarring to juxtapose silent Jerry yes. with the Jerry we have known ever since the day he bought the Cowboys, where he's always out there front and center with something to say. Even when you want him to stop talking, he still keeps talking. So to go from that to nothing at all, from early May through yesterday, it, regardless of the reason, it's noteworthy. And I think the idea that, well, the only reason I didn't talk is because they wanted me to talk, that that 
just doesn't make a whole lot of sense because he always talks regardless of whether people want him to talk or not. Yeah, well, no, I, I mean, I know he does. I, I'm just saying it's a different year. He doesn't call, you know, he, he's around football people. And then, he, yes, he can't shut his mouth then when he's around the football and the media and all that. But you're right, Mike. I got nothing, nothing more to say about that. You know, he is a guy that I wish came out from the start. Uh, I think he's one of the great leaders of football. I do in, in a lot of ways, and I think he could have eased the pain of this whole situation a little sooner with some of the kind words and things he said yesterday. So it is jarring. I'm not going to deny it. I mean, you know, I we, the whole time I kept going, man, I can't believe we haven't heard from Jerry Jones. I can't believe we haven't heard from Jerry Jones. It was shocking, but I guess just it's a weird year, and I guess I'm giving them the benefit of the doubt for that. Or if he had spoken before, there was an opportunity to carefully craft the message he could have made it worse, too. So let's not rule out that possibility sure, sure. that maybe it's better that he said nothing back in June or into early July, because if he had said something then without the benefit of really thinking about it and massaging it, it may have made things worse for him. And silence may have been the smartest path until he got to the point where he could harmonize these various competing interests. All right. I mentioned Dak Prescott. Jerry Jones also spoke about Dak Prescott when we return. What Jerry had to say about the failure to get a contract done with their franchise quarterback and the future of Dak Prescott in Dallas. More Pro Football Talk Live coming at you right after. Despite a career year in 2019, Cowboys quarterback Dak Prescott couldn't reach a long-term deal with the franchise before the July 15 deadline for doing so. On Wednesday, both Jerry and Stephen Jones were asked about those negotiations. We think he's outstanding. We think he's our quarterback of the future. Uh, we just couldn't get together at this particular time. I think it's easily worth noting that uh, uh, a lot of people this year in the franchise mode uh, didn't get together. One of the biggest reasons is the backdrop of, of the COVID. One of the biggest reasons is the economic issue. I've just spent weeks and weeks, a part of this rasp voice on the phone, talking with NFL and the Players Association, weeks and weeks working through the economic consequences. And candidly, nobody knows what's going to be there next year, next year, or the next year. And frankly, we all know that what we were talking about in Dak's case was the next year and the next year and the next year and the next year. So all of that came to bear, and this was just a less than stable time to be talking about serious, serious, generational, if you will, to use Dak's term, dollars in an unknown period of time looking forward. Everybody was pretty much aware at the end of the day that, uh, you know, the term of the deal was a, a big part of this. And uh, But at the end of the day, it doesn't change the way uh, we think about Dak. Dak and I had a great visit uh, right there at the deadline. Uh, he's so fired up about this team, about this season, and about our future. And uh, we ultimately know uh, that we're going to have to figure out how to get this done. Uh, I, I'm more convinced than ever uh, that we will get it done, but because of uh, the moving parts that we were dealing with, uh, with the virus, uh, of course, you know, you throw in uh, some other deals that were done, uh, which were certainly not down the middle uh, in terms of being normal or, uh, or a normal uh, contract. Uh, it just made for some challenges. 
That's both Jerry Jones and Stephen Jones. And I have a ton of respect for what the Jones family has done for the Cowboys in the National Football League. I talk to Stephen at least once a year on PFTPM. I enjoy visiting with him. Again, a ton of respect. And this is all the setup for me to say I don't buy any of what was just played, Chris. Here's the bottom line. They resisted and have consistently resisted offering Dak Prescott the kind of contract he wants. And they have believed at the end of the day he would buckle and agree to the deal that they want him to take. And he has continued to say no, no, and no. And it keeps getting more and more and more expensive. And the idea that it's difficult or impossible to structure a long-term deal in this climate, well, it's going to be a hell of a lot harder next year to give Dak Prescott $37.68 million under the franchise tag if the salary cap drops to one seventy-five, And by rule, that's what he's going to get. Unless they go back in and change the CBA over the rules for paying a franchise tag player in year two when he gets a 20% raise over what he got in year one, it's 37.68. It would have been easier to do a long-term deal with the four-year extension that he has consistently asked for, not five years. It would have been a lot easier to do that than to put yourself in a spot where you're paying him 31-4 this year, 37-6-8 next year, and facing a future in 2022 where you don't know what's going to happen. $45 million, $54 million, or out the door. That's what's looming in about 18 months for Dak Prescott and the Cowboys if they don't work this out next year, and they should have worked it out long before right now. Well, yeah, they, they should have. There's no doubt about that. I mean, they should have got him in a bargain deal a year ago. They could have saved themselves a whole lot of money. I mean, I think we, you and I discussed that many times. Yeah, they're in a dangerous spot right now. There's no doubt. Whether it's the franchise tag next year, whether it's the fact that, hey, Dak Prescott's really freaking good, and I do believe the Cowboys love him. I do, and they think he's the franchise quarterback, and they want to pay him. I, I don't deny that either. I mean, I, I, I think they really do. I also agree with what you said, Mike, and I've heard this from people in the know, that, yeah, I think they, they're a little caught off guard by, you know, how strong Dak Prescott has stood here as far as in negotiations. I think they thought that they, he at some point would just kind of settle for that somewhat of a team-friendly deal because he's such a team guy and such a leader that way, and he's very humble, and it comes off right away when you're where's around the, the, where's the wait, 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 where's, where's the side-eye control room? Where's the Dak Prescott side-eye? Right. When Chris said that to him face-to-face. -face. Well, that that, we've you. known. Yeah. We've known. We have. Since, since early 2019, we've known he wasn't going to play that game. And what makes Why it, didn't the Cowboys figure it well, out? Well, what makes it scarier, too, you know, well, I know Jerry, I mean, he says he watches all the media, and he's, you know, he's got, he needs to watch me. I mean, I would have, you watch my podcast, you would have known Dak wasn't going to settle for this deal a while ago. But... They're also in danger here. Yeah, there's a side eye, Mike. You love it. No. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if that's whether I said he'll take a team-friendly deal or if I asked him, you're Big Spoon, I'm Little Spoon. I'm not so sure no, which no, one I got that the was, eye of. <laughs> no, no, that was, that was, you seem like a guy who isn't real selfish and will take a team-friendly deal, and that's when he did that. Yeah, yeah, right. So, yeah. but what's scary too, Mike, and I think you'll agree, is statistically this year and a new offense, C.D. Lamb to go with Amari Cooper and Michael Gallup and Ezekiel. I mean, you know, they could be like the greatest show on turf this year. You know, I mean, they could be that type of team. High flying, ball everywhere. Dak Prescott throws for 4,900 yards and 40 touchdowns and 10 interceptions. And whoa, is the price going to go up? So, yeah, obviously there was that argument over the fourth and fifth year of the deal. The Cowboys wanted five. Dak Prescott wanted four. 
You know, we haven't really heard what kind of numbers Dak Prescott has asked for. That to me, you know, we've heard that the Cowboys have offered in that $35 million a year range. I have heard nothing from the other side to say, no, we're kind of asking for this. And then, of course, with Stephen Jones at the end there says, you know, there's another contract, the Mahomes contract. He was, I think, acknowledging that, right, Mike, to go, damn, that threw us a curveball and everything, and that's why we are where we are. But Dak wouldn't have taken the Mahomes contract. No, I know. I don't know if the Cowboys would have offered the Mahomes contract. No, uh, yes, I know. The, the, no, the, the cash flow over the first three years is embarrassingly low. The right. signing bonus is embarrassingly low. The full guarantee at signing is embarrassingly low. Other than that, it's a good contract. Dak Prescott, the th- here's what's great about Dak. He's not affected by the business aspect. He's no. not going to carry it around in a negative way. If anything, it's just going to motivate him. Back when he signed his franchise tender, my understanding was that he just looked at it and said, look, I did a contract year last year at $2 million. I'll do a contract year this year at $31.4 million, and I'm going to go out, and I'm going to show up, and I'm going to be at practice, and I'm going to bust my ass to be the best quarterback I can be, and then next year takes care of next year when they either give him the long-term deal that he wants or they pay him $37.68 million for one year. And the question will be, just like it was this year, what will the Cowboys give him to get him to trade in what he's got next year? 37-6-8 plus the doomsday scenario for the Cowboys in 2022. It's going to take a lot, a lot more next year than this year to get him to trade in his rights under the CBA. All right, let's take a break. A day after the Big Ten and the Pac-12 canceled their fall seasons, another college football conference went the other way. An update on what's happening with the lower level of the sport that's incredibly important to the upper level of the sport. We'll talk about that next year on PFT. Around any corner, within every battle, and with the dawn of each new day, the threat of the unexpected, the unpredictable, and the unrelenting lies in wait. But Marines will always be there. They are the constant in the chaos. No matter the battlefield, Marines adapt to win, defeating every shifting threat, protecting our nation's future. The few, the proud, the Marines. Want the same expert advice you get from the pros in the store while shopping online at DiscountTire.com? Meet Treadwell, your personal online tire guide that matches you with the perfect tire for your vehicle. Get your best match in one minute or less with Treadwell by Discount Tire. Let's get you taken care of. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, (laughs) That's definitely not a problem. Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. The SEC and the ACC intend to go forward. The Big Ten and the Pac-12 standing down. In the middle was the Big 12, and Bob Bowlesby, the commissioner of the conference, made it clear on Wednesday that they intend to go forward. It's up to all of us to deliver a safe, medically sound, and structured academic and athletic environment for accomplishing the outcome of getting the season in. A schedule was released. They start September 26. They're going to do three tests per week for the student-athletes, which is better than some of the stuff we've been hearing about programs, Chris, that are only testing guys who are symptomatic or are proven to have been in close contact with someone who has COVID-19. So 
It looks like three out of the five conferences intend to go forward. And in my view, that's the worst outcome for the NFL. I think from the NFL's perspective, they're not saying anything other than we are closely monitoring the situation. You don't want two college football seasons. Do it all in the fall. Do it all in the spring. Don't do one in the fall, one in the spring, because then you can't take over Saturdays in the fall if you want to move games from Sunday to Saturday for TV purposes, and you're still stuck with the idea, this, this, this problem of what the hell do we do with the draft? Yeah. Because there's still going to be college football happening in the spring. No, it's going to make life insane for NFL evaluators and scouts and GMs and everything like that. You're right. There's no doubt about that. So I'm not surprised the Big 12 was playing football. I expected them to join the ranks of the SEC and, and ACC. I did. You know, we just heard Jerry Jones. He's down there in Dallas, Texas. He wants fans in the stadium. You know, people are going to be behind that. I know that. Longhorn fans, they're, they're sitting there going, damn, what a, we're in Austin, Texas. We're all about Longhorn football. So, you know, that, that they're, they're going to push that message. Same thing with Oklahoma, Boomer Sooner. I mean, that, they live that. So it's a huge part of their culture. I did not think they would go down, you know, easily. I, I thought they would fight this because it, it is, you know, it's the South. And that part of the country, football is, you know, right there with religion and marriage, as they always say. So it's it's an important part. I just hope, again, just like we've talked about, can they do it safely? Can they make sure it doesn't spread through communities? And it's on them to do this, and they're going to take the, the financial liability risk, whatever it may be, and we'll see where it goes. Somebody other than Bob Bowlesby will be the commissioner of the Big 12 when they finally clean up the last of the COVID-19 lawsuits that inevitably will be filed by players, family members, coaches, etc. if they go forward without the right level of care and the right level of testing and evaluation and quarantine and all that stuff. So, hey, look, maybe they'll pull it off. But uh, the fact that the Big Ten and the Pac-12 have both decided it's not safe to proceed. That's Exhibit A in the lawsuit against any of the schools from the Big 12, the SEC, or the ACC. The two major conferences said, Mike, we just can't oh. do it. But but you guys go ahead and do it. We don't think it's safe, but go ahead. Go ahead and do the thing that we don't think is safe. No, I, I know. You're right. I mean, it's 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 crazy. I don't know. We're living in a crazy world right now. And, and, and you know, messages are all over the place and all that. I'll, I'll tell you the the one thing to me that, that I don't think is being talked about as far as being the biggest factor into if college football wants to work and everything like that. Listen, I I believe in a lot of what, like what Nick Saban said, you know, I'm not saying, you know, where he just goes, Hey, you know what we here have here at football, we can provide one of the more safer environments you can find out there. Yeah. I I can get behind that. I get that. But to me, if college football is going to work too, Mike, all right. You know, the big thing is, are there going to be, Students on campus, what are some of these schools doing about that? Because, you know, I would feel very confident. Texas, I went there. I know how it's set up. They could set up their own bubble for the football team and everybody be okay. They stay in Jester dorm. It's a walkway away from the stadium. But if there's fans, I mean, kids at school and all that, Mike, you know, that would scare me about it going forward. Really scare me because then I don't trust the kids on the football team to be disciplined and be able to go through and stay in the bubble and all that. But here's the problem. If it's not safe for the student body, how is it safe for the players? And how do you have college football without college? That, that's why I thought early on the wheels were going to come off of this experiment yes, right. before it even gets going. Because, you can, because what happens is 
in your zeal to get the college football season in and grab that money from the networks, you are going to expose the reality that these guys aren't student athletes. Yep. They're athletes. Yep. They're unpaid labor. And we're going to bring them in and we're going to put them in a dorm and we're going to shut them off from society so they're healthy enough to go out and play in the football games and make us our money. And if students aren't there, it becomes more glaring. Chris, Definitely. something from the NFL yesterday. Peter King mentioned this Monday. Mark Maskey of the Washington Post has emphasized it. The commissioner is likely to have a committee of outside advisors, not the competition committee because there may be conflicts of interest, but outside advisors who will help the commissioner decide when to shut a team down, when to cancel a game, when to postpone a game, when to do something other than say the games go forward as scheduled. Uh, Look, and I'm all for the commissioner getting advice when it comes to that, but you know what? The more I think about it, the more I come back to your point. We know when the games are. If you don't have 46 healthy guys, if you're not comfortable going forward, if you have too many COVID-19 infections, then at some point you're responsible for yeah. it. It's a forfeit, and we move on. And, 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 and I don't think if that's the rule, it won't come to that you, because you always have 46 guys. It's always next man up. Teams have injuries every year, yes. and they're down to you know third and fourth stringers. That's part of football. Yeah. You've got to be ready for that. And I don't, I don't like the fact that there may be an out that gets built in a standard that gets applied to one team uh-huh, one way, right. maybe gets to applied to a different team another way. A hundred percent. You know, I, I'll go back to Hard Knocks the other night. I don't know how much you've seen of it yet, Mike, but like Anthony Lynn, they start the show out. He's talking to his team on Zoom. He talked about, yeah, we got to be ready to play football and all that, but we got a different competition too, and we got to be ready to take on the pandemic and COVID-19. And that's, you know, that challenge along with the team we play is going to go a long way to if we can hold that trophy when it's all said and done. And th- that's why I do. I, I want, yep, your team has an outbreak. You can't play. You lose. Sorry, that team's good. They've done it all. That's what I would like. But if that's not going to be the way it is, then I do like that he's got some people to lean on because he's not a football guy, Roger Goodell. He's not going to know like, oh, this roster can't play, this can play. He needs to hear guys go, no, realistically, this team's in trouble if we're going to do it this way. And, oh, hey, Derek Brooks or Troy Vincent or whatever, can this team really play if they have six old linemen you know, on the COVID-19 list? No, they can't. You need to cancel it. So from that standpoint, it's good. But I want the forfeit, for, uh, the, forfeit the loss, like you said. We'll continue this topic in, in PFT overtime. OT after the program today. I got more thoughts on it when we return. Chris had an interview yesterday with Chargers safety Derwin James. We'll hear some of that next. Man, you want to talk about a star-studded defense. The Los Angeles Chargers, one of the best defenses in football last year, kind of flew under the radar. Yesterday, I got to talk to one of those studs, Derwin James. You know, to me, him, Jamal Adams, they're the two best safeties in football. That's where the conversation starts. Here's a little bit of uh, our interview and what we talked about yesterday. thing I want to do, like, alien comes to Earth, and they want to know, show me one play that explains Derwin James because he's one of the best safeties in football. What's that play going to be? What do I show him? What's What's been your favorite play in your, your career to this point? Oh, man. I got a lot of favorites. It's probably got to go back to year one, though, but I got a lot of favorites. Uh, my favorite, favorite play, probably when I picked off Big Ben. That was pretty fun. Oh, when he tried to throw that loft down the middle? Like- yeah, because he, he thought I was in – he thought I was blitzing because I was on the line of scrimmage. He thought I was blitzing. So just being able to undercut that route and 
I got talked about lineman, which I should which should never happen. But huh. it's all good. I mean, no, it's not all good. I'm embarrassed for you. How do you get yeah, tackled yeah. by an offensive lineman? Yeah, I mean, that can happen. So I, I want to redeem myself on that for sure. Yeah, well, that that's good. Pick it all, Big Ben. You know, and I've always been interested in this aspect of it. You played some quarterback in high school. You know, yeah, was, do you do you? No, I don't. No, I played quarterback slash running back. You know, okay. quarterback. You know what I'm saying? Well, okay, I didn't think so because I watched the highlights and it didn't look like and you were watching, looking downfield. It was run, yeah. No, I don't think everybody. I might hit a little check down. You know what I'm saying? Do you? All right. So just to stay on there, do you think that aspect of your career at all helped you play defense, to play running back, quarterback? Do you think that made you a better safety? For sure, man. Because as a as a defender, you know, it's the same it looks the same to the running back, especially as a safety. So I see the hole that he see on the other side. So, you know, just being able to think how a running back think or think how a receiver trying to get out his break to sell me this route or sell me this leverage, you know, just knowing all that, I feel like it, it helps me be a better football player all around. You there, Mike? Okay. Oh, uh, that's that uh, Chris. Yes, yeah, Chris. James. Chris. That's that was your talk with Derwin James. Sorry about that a little multitasking while you were talking to Derwin James. Chris, biggest takeaway from a guy that I know you have believed quickly has become one of the best safeties in the NFL. Even though we we didn't see him as much as we could have or should have last year because of that foot injury that right. knocked him out for a lot of the season. Yeah. Well, he's he's. Um, I think the first thing that I've noticed, and I've been around him a few times, is he's wise he's very wise and mature for you know being a young player in the NFL he's got a very humble quiet confidence about him and he's not just like hey I'm a super freak awesome athlete and I'm just gonna go out there and play and and do it that way very cerebral Mike really wants to know the nuances of the game taking on coaching give me some clues to make me a better player and, you know, that's what you see from the great ones. Usually it's great athletic ability combined with a mental aptitude to be able to handle a lot of coaching and little clues that can make them pretty awesome. Whenever the Chargers have been good, it's been because their offense has been great. We could be on the cusp of the first time in the history of the franchise. I mean, think about it, all the way back to the 60s. Yeah. It was offense, offense, offense when they were good. For the first time ever in 60 years, the Chargers may be a good team because their defense is so great. We've got another hour of PFT Live still to come. We'll be right back. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand.